0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the InDefense of Plants podcast, the official podcast of IndefensiblePlants.com. What's up? This is your host, Matt. Welcome to the show. How is everyone doing this week? Before we begin, I just want to say a big thank you to all of my patrons over at Patreon.com slash If you're enjoying the show, you have to thank them as well because I could not be doing this, and I mean that, without their financial contribution each and every month. My patrons make this show possible. So thank you to all of you that have signed up to support it. But today, we are revisiting a topic that I first covered back in June of 2015, where does time go? And that topic is American ginseng, Panax kinkifolius. I'm sure many of you have heard about ginseng via supplements or herbalism, but what many fail to realize is just how much pressure that trade puts on this amazing species. And with new stories coming out in recent weeks about the plight of American ginseng being so bad in areas of eastern North America that moratoriums have had to be put on wild harvesting, I think it's time to revisit this subject. This was a conversation I had with a man named Dave DeVinny. He's a truly fascinating human being, and that early on, it was one of those conversations that made me want to jump all in on doing a plant-based podcast. It was a lot of fun, and I'm really happy to revisit it, so let's just jump right in. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Dave DeVinny. I hope you enjoy. So have
1: you lived this area your whole life? I have. Yeah? I grew up pretty much where I am right now. Right Usually, when people ask me where I'm from, I say uh, kind of right between Lenore and Hickory, okay. um, in North Carolina. Or people are usually more familiar with Boone. So right. um, it takes me it takes me about 45 minutes to get to Boone, North Carolina. About an hour to get to Asheville. So I had good. a
0: lot of recommendations. Gotta go to Boone.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boone's nice. Asheville's nice. Boone's nice. Yeah, yeah. Here, Asheville's a little bit more like hipster style definitely definitely hipster style Mm -hmm. actually is Uh, boone is still boone is still pretty small right um and honestly without app state i don't know what boone would be but um yeah boone's where it's at as far as i'm concerned cool
0: yeah now you're a ginseng man right is that safe to say that is safe to say okay but for those of us who don't encounter it very often or aren't very familiar with it You look up ginseng and all you get is folklore, Mm -hmm. um, folk medicine, and actual medicine. Um, But the plant itself kind of seems a mystery to most sources. Right. So if you had to tell the story of what ginseng is to someone completely ignorant of the plant,
1: where would you start? Um, If I were to, so I guess I would kind of botanically describe it. Um, People have confused it with things like poison ivy, with seedling so it's um, it kind of goes through these different morphological phases so when it first starts out as a seedling it's kind of this uh, it's got one leaf on it that's got three leaflets oh cool um, some people say that it looks kind of strawberry like as right. far as the leaf arrangement um, sort of serrated yeah yeah it's there. very serrated and it's got it's got two small leaflets and then one larger leaflet in the center hmm. um, but at that stage, if you don't know what you're looking for, you'll never yeah, ever find. it. I don't know it. if I'd ever pick um, that out of a. Yeah, and and so it goes from there to you know once it's about maybe two or three years old um, in really ideal habitats, um, it'll st- it'll produce two leaves. Okay. And each of those leaves will have three to five leaflets on it, um, and they come out. Those two leaves will come out at yeah. perfect one eighty degrees from one other. Cool. Perfect symmetry. It's another reason I love the plant. Um, <laughs> Easy on the eyes. And then, so you go from that two to three years, then maybe three to five or more, it'll start to produce three leaflets. Again, oh, wow. perfect symmetry. Um, and at about that stage, at those three leaflets, um, usually it's old enough to start reproducing. Oh, wow. So it takes, I mean, you're looking at five to seven years sometimes right. before it can start it's like Actually, raising a kid and trying to get it to go to school. Yeah, like, exactly. Wow. Yeah, so it takes a while to get it to reproduce. So when you see a nice, big, mature ginseng, you're looking at a pretty aged plant. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so they'll get on up to... Uh, <coughs> most people that dig ginseng call them call the leaves prongs. Prongs. A prong, yeah. So after three-pronged, you'll see four-pronged ginseng. Right. Uh, and that typically indicates that it's an older plant. Um, and then there's... People have seen five pronged very rarely, Yeah. Um, and, and maybe more. But uh, I think at that point, you're starting to get into you know something happened during yeah. during the growing phase that started to produce this extra prong or whatever, something just but, altered yeah your bud messed yeah. up yeah.
0: Um, now what kind of habitat are we talking here? I, I'm
1: guessing forest, but rich, <coughs> dry, wet. You know. Needs to be um, most people would tell you north facing slopes. Yeah, so moist but not wet. Um, and around here, so North Carolina, typically if I see maples or uh, tulip poplars, okay. um if I see those things, then I kind of expect All to right. find ginseng in there too. Um, but in the literature, so again, most people would say ginseng grows on north-facing slopes. Yeah. Um, but in the literature, and uh, Jim McGraw out of, is it West Virginia University or University of West Virginia? Mm. Anyway. <laughs> um, Jim McGraw, if you look him up, he's got he's done a ton of ginseng research. Um, his research indicates that we could actually find more of it on slopes that are kind of east and west facing really? than north facing. Um, a little more exposure. Well, of, his he kind of his conclusion was that if people that harvest ginseng are only looking for it on north facing slopes. Oh. So then they harvest it off of north-facing slopes, and it kind of pushes it more towards east- and west-facing slopes. So that's
0: a good point. I mean, this is a plant that's been with, you know, in in human history, uh,
1: probably since before recorded history, you know, you're going back into, like, spoken word kind of... So we can, here in North America anyway, we can, you know, we've got records of, you know, 1700s is when it really started being harvested here for trade. Right. Um... And, I mean, hugely harvested, uh, and we're talking hundreds of pounds people could dig of ginseng. Yeah, it's crazy. And, I mean, the only thing that out-traded it is fur. No way. and, And typically, if you look at some of these old fur trading, like if you see a picture and it's, you know, some fur trading company, if you look underneath, it'll say something about ginseng underneath it. just kind of like a, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, yeah. Brought in the market. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it's, it's, um... And so, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of pounds, 1700s, but we also, I mean, one of the ways that we found it was from, you know, the Native Americans using it, too. So, it's been used way since before then, since the 1700s. And the reason it was, one of the reasons that it was looked for here in North America is because the Asian sister species um, was harvested almost completely to extinction during that time. Yeah. And so, you know, start looking for climates that are similar to where Asian ginseng grows. Right. Um, and I mean, our climate. I've heard more than one botanist that has traveled
0: to Asia say, "You get into those temperate deciduous forests in either North America or Asia, right. eerily similar. Right. Like you kind of have to go like, did I?" dream right. that I traveled here. What is that, the East Asian, East North American disjunct populations? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's like, I mean, that's it's so cool because it's like that hearkening back to a time when all this was one big continent and yeah. the land bridges and all that. But it's perfect, yeah. How related is it to Asian ginseng?
1: Well, so that's the closest sister species. Okay. Uh, there's one other, um, there is uh, Panax trifolius here in North America. The dwarf? The dwarf ginseng. One of my favorite plants. Yeah, yeah it's, that's a great one. I've only seen it a couple times. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah.
0: really common up north where I am. Not like, so, yeah, not so much here. One of the ones I encounter pretty frequently I in mean, the spring.
1: I mean, when I say not so much, you can find it. Right, in, but, right. But, but, but,
0: you know, I, I've I've really been interested in that kind of trade-off of what species, you know, are more northern and then right. what kind of hits its stride down here where it's warmer and more humid and far more hilly <laughs> yeah
1: far more yeah but the trifolius um it's it, when you look at the genetics it's you know much more distantly related oh wow um even though they're here on the same continent yeah. and so you know that suggests two maybe two migrations of that hmm. of that those two panic species now um,
0: this is um like aureliaceae yes Aurelias. they're like the spike the spikenars the sasparillas are all in there too um, similar flower morphologies, I'm assuming too. The aralia, they call that the, um, is that the ivy family, the see? Yeah, but yeah. like the the true ivy, like not poison ivy or anything. Right. Like the, the European climbing ivy. Right.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. As, and if you you know if you're starting to look for it, um, when I show people ginseng, usually one of the first things that they will also point out to me and ask is this ginseng? Mm-hmm. Is some of the English ivy that you'll see growing, or the um, um, the creeper, oh Virginia creeper, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they'll see creeper that's not growing up the side of the tree, and you know it has a similar right leaf morphology, and so that's oh here's ginseng, look it's everywhere, <laughs> oh so yeah, it's growing there's... up the side of my house. I yeah. wonder how many people harvest the roots of it, and then oops, yeah, I've, I've, I have literally had people bring me poison ivy thinking it was ginseng, yeah, and then do you yeah. just kind of go oh <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh goody. Yeah, you're in for one there. Yeah, yeah. my uh, co-worker this week just reached down to touch a seedling and, what is this? Uh, that's poison ivy. Yeah, and shit. you'll find out in a couple yeah. of days. You'll yeah. find you'll know. So what, what yeah. br- brought you to this plant? I mean, is this something you grew up like, did your family collect it? Is this uh, something you came into later in life? Was it a plant that you just kind of jumped into because of research
1: or did you yeah, get, like, so have experience with it? Yeah, uh, so I, I, I grew up outside, you know, in, in the creeks and all that, but I never really had um much encounter I didn't I guess like most people you know yeah uh, with plants they were growing up they were just kind of green things right. that I didn't pay much attention to background didn't. noise um, actually when I started my my degree um, actually at community college I had an instructor he was a sociology instructor um, and he but he knew a lot about especially the medicinal plants right um, and he would talk about it and so that kind of spurred my interest a little bit and so it got me out in the woods a little bit more and trying to find different things and um, then I took a botany course at Appalachian State, mm-hmm. and that is pronounced correctly, App- <laughs> Appalachian State. I'm learning that yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. I had a, a lecture on <clears throat> proper pronunciations. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so once I took botany with Dr. Murrow at App, um, I just fell in love with it and all things plants at that time, but still still really didn't know a whole lot about ginseng. Yeah. Um, I finished my bachelor's degree and decided to go for my master's degree and talked to Dr. Gary Walker, who was my advisor uh, in grad school. And he said, you know, he was telling me about ginseng and some of the problems with, you know, over harvest on Blue Ridge Parkway and things like that. And at that time, they were looking for a a way to mark the route Um, that there was already one way with the the orange, they use an orange marker, especially in Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Um, But they were looking for another way to potentially mark these routes. So I kind of started down that path um, and then ended up uh, with John Walker at the USGS um, doing some genetic population genetics research. So kind of identifying um, demographics, sort of. Kind, well, so kinda. Um, when you when you study the reproductive biology of ginseng, so it's it's at that time um, we didn't know what moved the seeds around, no even way. though even though the seeds are in these bright red berries, or, right. or droops, I guess but is the real botanical term. Um, we didn't know what moved them around because again, Dr. McGraw in West Virginia, um, he was able to show that when deer eat them, the seeds don't survive, they don't okay. germinate. Um, I think he did a grouse and a turkey survey as well, and they didn't survive there. Wow! So when I was doing my master's work, uh, we didn't know what moved it around. Huh. Um, itself mostly self pollinates really? mostly. Um the the pollinators that you find on it are pretty generalist. Yeah. Uh, and even the flowers, um I mean you're talking about a flower that's maybe a half to one millimeter. Yeah, I mean across. most
0: most of the whole family the flowers are not yeah, big, yeah.
1: distinct, showy I and so mean, it's yeah, it's a perfect it's a perfect fit for the family. Yeah. yeah. Um And so it just doesn't scream a cross pollinator at Mm -hmm. all. And so it mostly selfs. Even uh, and so they've bagged the flowers um, to to exclude them from being cross pollinated, and they do just as well, if not better, (laughs) than those that that can cross pollinate. Yeah. No way. Um, And so to me, this this just it was just screaming. You know, you should have these little localized populations that are. Pretty much the same, yeah. Right? Because if I'm a parent plant and I'm dropping those seeds right below me, nothing is moving them around, uh, and then I self-pollinate yeah. year after year after year. To me, I thought I could find very distinct groups or very distinct populations, um, even at really local scales, you know, yeah. so meters even. And so that's kind of what drove that research. But uh, what I found was was not that at all. Um, did, okay, so. That opens up a lot of questions now. Yeah. Um,
0: so first off, uh, what is
1: distributing the seeds? What is the dispersal mechanism? Well, so again, until until recently, actually until until I think McGraw put a paper out. It might have been one of his students. I just recently read it. So um, he put a paper out recently in 2014. So just last year, mm-hmm. that talked about one of the, one of the dispersers. Um, but until then, the only thing we knew that would disperse it is gravity, and that's it. Mm-hmm. It just falls off um but now he has shown so he's put um he actually put motion sensitive cameras out by ginseng, and thrushes wood thrushes, really especially um distributing distributing the seeds, but pretty locally yeah, um so he found that they would eat they would eat the berries or the droops. Um, and then regurgitate the seeds, actually, like no within, within 15 minutes. Um, wow. Yeah, so so they're not, I mean, they can't go far. Yeah, right? yeah, so it's but, just kind of like wherever they're landing <coughs> and roosting. And then that opens up the whole, you know, the thrushes, especially wood thrush, you know, with, with the, their habitats going downhill. Right, and, right. Um, so, and even with that, with the wood thrushes distributing those, um, it's not like they're it's not like they're seeking them out, no. specifically. It's just kind of happenstance. Yeah. It's
0: there. It attracts them. Yeah. I mean, it,
1: yeah, which is strange, because I feel like you run into that
0: quite a bit. I mean, I don't have any numbers to prove this, but in the literature, you look at something that you were like, well, it's a berry. Of course, it's an animal. But then you look, like, like you said, not effective, not surviving right. passage kind of thing. So it really makes you wonder, like, what the selective pressure to even go there, like. because, I mean, the the... The droops on there are pretty bright red, distinct. Mm-hmm. They stand out. So, I mean, do you think it's a matter of just it doesn't need to happen a lot, but the law of large numbers and time would just say that every once in a while it seems to work
1: for yeah, it. Yeah, and and so one of the things, one of the things that I have been thinking about, especially by the end of my research, is, um, I mean, we know because of the amount that was harvested, we know that ginseng populations used to be much much larger. Right um and so and and also since they self and kind of you know kind of stay in these small groups now um they're also tetraploid um so really? i kinda, i think that helps that has helped them through time but um the whole the i mean the species
0: in general is tetraploid
1: yes wow yeah panax quinquefolia yes it is tetraploid um and I think the other big contributor um, are humans, the hu- the movement, human movement of... Uh, and because, especially once ginseng, the numbers started to dwindle, yeah, um, people wanted to make sure that they could go back and find it right. year after year after year. So they would either move plants around or they would move seeds around. Yeah, I mean, I, I've talked to a few old ginseng folk that, say oh, you never collect
0: unless you're pushing the berries you know, right. push the berries push the berries right. just go around and if you read i mean what i've looked into the united plant savers and a lot of the ethical plant harvesting sites always say you know certain age only harvest when there's berries plant every berry you find right you know right i saw like a 30, 30 seeds to one plant ratio is the only sustainable like the bare minimum sustainable oh, yeah plant 30 seeds for yeah. every one plant you harvest
1: yeah and you know, even with that, there are laws, so if you harvest ginseng um you're supposed to plant the seeds back mm-hmm. within a hundred feet, even I think of the oh, so of, it pretty... of where you take it, yeah 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 and and um also, you should only harvest ginseng when the berries are red, okay, right? because that increases the chance that the seeds inside those will germinate, right. And again, that literature's out there there's there's actual numbers you know how many you know what percentage will will reproduce or will grow germinate mm-hmm. from green fruits or berries and then how many from red and and the number's quite a bit higher yeah um,
0: is this a species that germinates readily or is it something that a um, bit of a
1: tricky if you plant it yeah um germinations is pretty successful yeah uh, and I, I mean I've seen numbers eighty percent no way um, wow but I think you know just falling off of the plant um, I don't have an exact number for that but just falling off the plant the number reduces quite right a bit. yeah I can't imagine um, that immediate environments too yeah yeah and and the other thing about it is so once that once that that drooper berry falls off it has to go through two winters before it germinates Oh, uh, double dormancy yeah yeah, okay. and so that's another compounding factor. So, at least for me, when I started my thesis, is you know it's it's this selfing plant that doesn't seem to have distributors. It has to go through two mm-hmm. winters. So all of these kind of hardships, one after the other, on top of it, and um, yeah, that's kind of what led my work. Right. So now you focused
0: really heavily on the genetic component. So what did you find there for a plant that is so localized, isn't getting dispersed? <laughs> like you said you'd expect a lot of inbreeding depression tetraploid could help you got you know three sets of chromosomes to work with if one of them goes faulty but right. what 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 are you finding there
1: so what i found was not that at all i found <laughs> i found quite a bit of variation within what i was what i was calling populations um and so that was kind of the that was kind of a back and forth with my committee too is <laughs> using that word right. population and how to use it correctly but um so within really local levels, uh, you know, tens of meters, um, there was quite a bit of genetic diversity mm-hmm. within those those populations or locations. Um, it wasn't until you got until you got outside of that those those locales that I could kind of start putting things together, like right. um, like Great Smoky Mountains National Park. You know, when I when I ran principal component analyses or mm-hmm. when I ran you know any kind of assignment testing. Then those kind of tended to stick together. You would have outliers, but inside the park, those would stick together. Um, if I har- if I took any samples from private populations, they tended to stick together. Um, I did a lot of sampling up in Shenandoah National Park, and those kind of hung out together um, in my assignment testing. Mm-hmm. And so, but even even at that level, there was you know was still huge amounts. What I would find anyway. Yeah. And especially for what I thought I would see, I kind of went into it thinking that I was going to see you know almost almost clonal yeah you know just, beca- yeah just because of the just because of the biology and um not at all what I saw, and so the only thing I can think that contributed to that um, one is the tetrapoid nature, so maybe yeah. that helped hang on to some of so if the populations were much much larger than they want than they are now and and they surely were um maybe that tetraploid nature helped to hold on to some of that right diversity Um, and then i just don't think there's any doubt that that the movement of seeds and plants contributed to that as well
0: i mean yeah especially for a plant that's you know useful for native americans for who knows how long yeah Um, a plant that's been useful to settlers since the 1700s at the very least i mean definitely even since they got here um, I don't think you can no- ignore anymore the anthropocentric nature, especially in the East, considering how used and abused our forests have gotten over mm-hmm. the centuries. Um, and I- I've seen work on Gluditzia, the honey locust, that's done the same thing. It's said that the range and a lot of the distribution patterns don't make sense unless you consider the anthropocentric movement of it. Right. And that really speaks highly to what you're talking about, I think, um, just because this is such a focused
1: species. I mean, like, you can't ignore that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that was one of the other things I was, I was trying to look at. And of course, when you're trying to wrap up any thesis, it's, it's, um, you know, what else is out there that kind of has a similar, um, uh, and you know, there's, I mean, there are species out there that are harvested and, but at the level that ginseng is harvested and yeah. used, um, and moved around and all that, it was really kind of hard for me to find yeah. other species that, that do that kind
0: yeah, of thing. Yeah, I mean, I worked in a, a health food grocery store, and I think ginseng was, like, one of the few plants that people could identify yeah. as... Not necessarily go out in the woods and identify, but it's, it's well-known, and it's something that even the layman who <coughs> doesn't care about plants knows about. You right. Know? So this is a highly marketed species, yeah. which then bleeds into my questions about conservation. As someone doing the groundwork and someone who's very wrapped up in the species, I mean, what is your... What's your view? I guess would be the big question, and then we'll get
1: into the nitty gritty uh, conservation biology aspects of it. So, I mean, ginseng is is definitely getting much harder to find. Yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's a species of special concern in North Carolina, um, and of course, you can find more of it in especially as you go up north. Uh, West Virginia, you can find quite a bit of it, mm-hmm. um, and. And, you know, I kind of had these grand ideas um, when I expected to find populations that were really genetically constricted. Yeah. Um, And so going into my work, I kind of thought, well, if they're that constricted, then we need to be kind of hanging on to all of these little populations of ginseng. But if it's, you know, if if we're still seeing quite a bit of diversity there at those levels... um, And then at the park level, Mm -hmm. I think genetically it's doing okay. Right. Um, But uh, we really have to look at how we're harvesting it. Um, And the other thing, I don't want to put it all off on humans um, because the other kind of nuisance out there in the forest other than humans is white-tailed deer. Oh,
0: certainly. Um, And And I, I will get taken to task on that. Any, I mean, if I even mention deer as a potential, there are people out there that will. <clears throat> I mean, obviously, there's the Bambi folk who just can't even think of harming anything with big, dirty right. eyes, you know. But then, you know, I people will just well, that's debatable. Right. I don't think it is anymore. Yeah. I think the 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 jury's in, you know. Yeah. Like, we're losing a lot, and it's because deer are more abundant on this continent than they've ever been.
1: Ever been. Yeah. Yeah. And they're
0: doing it on less
1: land. Yeah. Than they've ever had. So, and, and the argument there and there's research out there for this as well is that white-tailed deer are are more of a problem for ginseng than even humans are. All right. Um because I mean so that they'll eat the plants and they'll eat them before they have a chance to reproduce and if they if the plants are reproducing um And they eat the seeds, then the seeds aren't going to germinate. I mean, it's just factor after factor.
0: Not to mention Um, the fact that, like, humans you have, you know, they're probably going out at certain times of the year. They're only going so far. You have a deer that's active a lot more, (coughs) constantly foraging. So you figure the the amount of ground a hungry deer can cover is probably a bit more than your average human who's just harvesting for monetary gain. And it's just, you know, there's a season.
1: There's actually a season for, you know, digging ginseng. I think it's September the first here in North Carolina to uh, I think the first of January. Oh wow! Is when the season is. So that's good. I mean, they're hitting it late in the year. Yeah, and even then though, all the berries aren't necessarily red by that time. Yeah. Um, So you just got to hope people are responsible about it. Yeah, and it has to be a certain has to be five years old. Yeah. A three pronged plant, five years of age or older,
0: and. It's it's interesting to me because I have no experience with ginseng seasons like that. Mm. You know, um, where I'm from in New York, I I think it's endangered, if not threatened. So there is there is no harvesting that plant. Right. Um, Do you think a majority of people are following the rules? Because it's easy to fall into the poaching thing and say, you know, you hear the horror stories, you hear the big cases where they bust a bunch of people on uh, smoky smokies. You know, but are most ginseng hunters, you think, doing the right thing
1: or? I think um the people that I run into that harvest ginseng do mm-hmm. um although it's certainly not hard to find those that aren't uh, I mean when I was doing my work um and I uh, I was Wait, sampling second. oh yeah when I was Yeah, I feel like I just smothered it with a pillow. Yeah. Quiet. When I was, <laughs> um, so when I was sampling in Great Smoky Mountains National Park, um, it was kind of the end of the day and I was leaving to kind of go back to camp. And I was on this, on the road and just happened by a place that I thought, you know, there's probably some ginseng here. Mm. And so I kind of pulled over. Um, and when I pulled over, <clears throat> it was right along the edge of the, the parkway boundary. And so when I pulled over and got out of my truck, um, I heard something in the woods yeah. and I had been seeing turkey and stuff all day and so I didn't think much about it. Uh, and and I, so I get out and walk up in the woods a little bit and then um, I'm not a smoker, so I'm I'm pretty sensitive to the smell of cigarette yeah, smoke. Yeah. And so I get into the kind of that cove there and I smell cigarette smoke. But then I thought, well, I'm still so close to the road that maybe that's what it was. The mm. car goes by and I'm smelling that. Um, and I get a little bit in, and sure enough, I see ginseng tops laying everywhere, oh, no. and where people had been, or one individual anyway, it seemed yeah. had been digging uh, the roots. And um, so, again, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a hundred yards into the woods at this yeah. point. Um, and so, I kind of got some some data that I needed, and got back in my truck and was driving down, and just happened to pass some of the rangers mm-hmm. and stopped them and told them, you know, kind of what I had what I had witnessed and took them to the spot and showed them and um you know they were <clears throat> they felt like they probably even knew the individual wow that it was. That's kind of how common it was. Yeah. And his his the Rangers comment to me was that for this individual he had been caught before. Right. Um and he made the comment to them that, you know, he would he would be able to make his court cost back. <laughs> um and so at that point, you know, the punishment obviously wasn't near enough yeah. for poaching. Um, and that's you know plant poaching that's another <clears throat> maybe a whole issue to itself certainly is it's it's easy so people poach deer um and that's kind of that can be a big deal you yeah know? you poach an animal and that's yeah but but you go out and you start digging plants illegally and we'll, everyone's like why why
0: does that matter yeah yeah yeah, yeah. who cares yeah these yeah. are
1: kind of these are our plants that we are you know right. we've al- we we've always done this, and so why can't we continue to and,
0: yeah that definitely that mindset of it's it's how it's always been and how it's always gonna be. But like you said, that the fact that, you know, ginseng goes for such a high cost, um, and you can just make it back, it's like building in <laughs> you know, you can just expect to and say, well, I'll make enough money if I find X amount of plants and be fine with it. So really I think, you know, as much as regulations can hurt, uh punishments at least should be a
1: bit on yeah. the
0: stricter side, you know?
1: Yeah. And and now that recent TV show that came out on oh, the History God. Channel, which was, I mean, it horrible. That, right. Just glamorizing what, this lifestyle. What was it called? Um, Outlaw... I can't remember. Anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> and they, even on that TV show, some of the prices that they would talk about for ginseng there, yeah, um, probably not completely untruthful. But I think they probably were inflated a little bit. Um, well, Got to make good TV. In yeah, yeah. I mean, you could definitely. There have been times where you can sell a dry pound of ginseng root uh, for a thousand bucks. And but there are also times that you can't get three hundred bucks yeah. for the same amount. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, that's still like yeah, it's an still, excessive amount of money. Exactly for a of
1: roots. And it t- I mean, it takes a lot now. It takes. Um, you're looking probably at 250 300 roots to yeah. get now, anyway. Because um, they are getting smaller, I've heard. Right, right. Yeah. So you can look at herbarium specimens through time and see uh, that that they're definitely, especially the roots are getting yeah. smaller. Is that's that sh- human driven? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's We're what taking all the big ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is. <clears throat> it is.
0: Um, yeah, and the TV thing too just scares me because you get this mindset where you know you may not have someone that knows anything about ginseng but they go outside a bit more and hey i can make a quick buck on this yeah. and i never threw i never knew i could make a quick buck on it before exactly. so you're creating this ideal out of glamorizing you know these stupid ass shows with oh. gold digging and mountain people and it just kind of like does a yeah. big disservice to humanity and nature
1: and and even so that show as a ginseng lover i I didn't like that show yeah. because of that because of that but if if I were I don't harvest ginseng, I grow it because yeah. I like to be able to go out and you know see it right um That's but awkward. if I were a harvester, I wouldn't have liked that show either because it made them look really hateful, yeah, and really you know you're on my ginseng plot and I'm right. gonna shoot you kind of thing it's kind of like um, backwoods
0: redneck yeah idea yeah, just
1: painting for oh that drives me crazy, especially yeah. growing up where I grew up it's 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 completely stereotypical, and right? Fed into that. So there's, yeah, it yeah, there was a, two folds there that I didn't really like. That to. I made it through an episode and a half. And I yeah, like, I, I don't, I couldn't. I yeah, would just I can't do this. I'd see the commercial and just be
0: boiling. Right, right. Um, so that that really like that that brings up a good point though. Um, you know, there's one reason this plant's being harvested, and it's for medicinal reasons. Exactly. So as someone who is coming at this scientifically, um, is there <coughs> merit? I've heard so many dubious claims yeah. and a lot of it I mean obviously you see that list of unrelated, uncharacterized illnesses. Like, right, you know. Right, libido. Right? Yeah. that's the big one. Yeah. In to cases. get husbands, I think was my favorite exactly. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> um, and so when when I when I was writing my kind of my introduction to my thesis, I had a pretty large component in there that was talking about some the literature, anyway, that was out there for right. medicinal use. reviewing um, it Yeah, and, and so we kind of nixed that because that wasn't the, the purpose of my yeah. research. And, um, the, the only, the, there's only two things I could find out there that were kind of legit. Um, one, there was a study that looked at glucose, blood glucose levels. So diabetes. Um, yeah, and yeah. so what they found is that individuals that were diabetic that were given a glucose challenge mm-hmm. with ginseng their glucose levels would fall off more quickly than those that weren't given the ginseng supplements. Okay, so there's definitely an element there. But if you weren't diabetic, then there, was, there seemed to be no, no difference. No use, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and then the other one was an interaction, the interaction with glu- uh, ginseng and blood thinners, like hmm. warfarin. Okay. Um, and, and so it seemed, to, it seemed to counteract. So if you're on a blood thinner and you're taking ginseng, uh, maybe ginseng is counteracting that thinning nature. Right. Uh, those are the only two. Everything else that I found, it, it boggled my mind right. how they even made it to some of the the science literature. It would be there was one paper, for instance, that followed three individuals. Right. Um, they would go to a general practitioner with some problem, you know, some respiratory illness. Mm. Um, they were given some drug and antibiotic. <clears throat> a week later, they weren't better. So they went to this other individual that said, "Well, you need to take ginseng." Yeah. And so they took ginseng, and three weeks later, miraculously, uh-huh. they're better, right? And so uh, that made it to a publication, and there was two others that were like that. Uh, you know, it's you can't reproduce that. There's no no. That's, uh, it's
0: it's a priori too. Right. I and mean, you're, you're you're making this conclusion that I got better because I was taking this, but you know, who's to say you weren't going to get better anyway? Right. Who's to say you know your immune system yeah. didn't fight that off, kind of thing? And yeah. Other
1: it, than that, um. I mean, even when you look at the the root itself, so mm-hmm. if, if you think about, um, so it's these compounds called ginsenicides. Okay. Those are the compounds that are thought to be the effective uh, or what people use for. Um, if you look at those within a population, uh, what we would call a population of ginseng, um, there are statistical differences in levels of each one of those. I can't. I think there's five different ginsenicides. It may be seven. Okay. Okay. Um, but there are statistical differences between the levels of each one of those within a population. So, so neighboring a of, individuals. Yeah, a lot of variation within wow. those populations. But you ask individuals, you know, why do you take ginseng? If yeah. you ask 10 people, you'll get 10 different right. responses as to why they take it. And, and you know, by God, they're getting whatever they think that they need to from it. There's something
0: um, to be said for yeah. the, the calming placebo self healing sort of yeah. aspect of it and I don't want to downplay that but why does it have to be an endangered right. or threatened or declining species that does it Yeah. and I think you, you paint a really good picture there and an interesting point because you see a lot of times within the health food um, or just the health crazed group um, this push for well it, you have to get it wild because wild is better you know. as soon as you're actively planting the plant <coughs> somehow you're diminishing its quality yeah but that right there tells me that wild is almost worse, yeah. you know? Yeah. If you could somehow find a strain or a group that does have these elevated compounds, and, I mean, this is just assuming right. that, you know, you just want it for the compounds, not efficacy or anything like that. Yeah. Um, it would make more sense then to cultivate your own and create a market for it, which would
1: totally yeah. alleviate. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, there's a hu- there is a huge cultivated, you know, there are fields and fields, especially in states like Wisconsin. Really, I mean, agriculture style field after field after field. <clears throat> I mean, they stretch shade cloths over top of it, and wow, it, it, yeah, and they. I mean, they're really good looking ginseng plants. Yeah, and, um, it takes a fraction of the time right. to to turn around, um, and you know, there's they so they market the roots and they market the seed and all that kind of stuff, and so so that's there, but. Um, from that kind of what they call cultivated ginseng, yeah, I mean you may get a tenth the price <laughs> that you're going to get, if that even, wow, a tenth the price for cultivated, um, and so that's depressing. Yeah, so there, <laughs> there so there's kind of these, you've got wild ginseng, and people will, people will harvest wild ginseng, yeah, and so there's a price that they will get for that, and then there's another kind of group called wild simulated okay. ginseng which that's ginseng that you have taken and planted somewhere and kind of let it do its thing. Okay. <clears throat> then there is, so that's wild simulated, there's wild cultivated, which you take and you plant it in the wild, but you kind of cultivate it as if it's a crop, so maybe um, you try to add some fertilizers and things to it, which actually fertilizers, um, there's some indication that fertilizers aren't so good for hmm. ginseng. and Expose them more to to some of the problems, some of the the fungi, the fungi and things that can. Probably because you're you're yeah. boosting everything yeah. else around it. And then there's the completely cultivated. So there's kind yeah. of four different things there. That wow, that's inside. I didn't even know that. Yeah, and it, it and I went to a ginseng conference once, and um, there was a guy in the room <clears throat> that was a dealer, a ginseng dealer, and had been for some time. I didn't know this at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but what I kept noticing is people would walk, was, they were walking up to this individual and they were showing him roots and he would either shake his head or, you know, yes or no. And, um, and he would talk to them a little bit and the individual would walk away. And I didn't know what he was doing really. Yeah. And later found out that this guy, um, they, an individual would take a root to this guy and say, you know, what do you think about this? And he would say, it's either wild, it's wild simulated, <laughs> or it's cultivated just by looking at the root. Um, and it seemed like a lot of times he was correct. Now, Weird. granted, ginseng that you that you cultivate, kind of agriculture style, um, the root is pretty distinctively. Yeah. Like I mean, it kind of looks like a carrot. Right, because it's uh, babied. I yeah, mean, this is yeah. like controlled it's, for everything. Yeah, it's ginseng. not that gnarly kind of yeah. root that you expect in the wild. But he was ev- he would even tell them whether or not he thought that the plant had been dug up. And repositioned somewhere. Uh, wow. How he could tell that, yeah. I do not know. Kind of
0: sounds a little like dowsing, where it's just yeah. kind of like, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. But
1: so there are different prices for all those things. Yeah,
0: and I'm maybe. guessing it diminishes as you get exactly. closer to cultivating. Exactly. Even wow. though
1: the literature, but I mean, you're looking at hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years True. maybe, of entrenched so, dogma. Exactly and I've
0: noticed this trend and it's scary because you have these people that want to be down to earth they want to be holistic they want to be as natural as possible and I respect that to no end right however they seem to be the most ignorant to nature right and the least likely to listen to reason right because anytime you bring in any sort of scientific, it just seems like now you're bringing in that cold-hearted conspiracy stuff. Right, yeah. So you're some kind of
1: shield that's being paid by the ginseng industry. Yeah, right, yeah, Yeah. right. Yeah, Yeah. I I get that often. I get that. Uh, And it's sad, really. It It, really is.
0: It is, because you want to do right, and you want to do right by these people, because they're not bad people. And that's what sucks, is because you're sitting there, and this stuff angers me so deeply, but then you talk to some people, and you're like, I can't hate you. Right. But yeah You're doing stupid things yeah so yeah. it is tough I mean did you run in to a lot of? I mean you've obviously just kind of absorbed yourself into this culture yeah. do you do you have hope I mean are you someone that has hope for this
1: species um I do and because so I mean uh, there's kind of a dark picture there of people that harvest <laughs> it uh, incorrectly and right. uh, poach it and all that but I think there, there are quite a few people out there that also realize that if they don't do it in some kind of sustainable fashion, yeah. that they're not going to have it there. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I've talked to a number of individuals um, that, you know, they they're ginseng harvesters and, and they want, you know, worse punishment for individuals that yeah. are poachers and that kind of thing. Because it hurts
0: them in the long run. If you're someone yeah. who's doing it the right way and then someone swoops in and just wrecks your entire exactly. region, you know.
1: Yeah, and so there's a lot of those out there, and so I do have hope for that. Um, it's just, you know, there, it's getting it's getting on that borderline kind of point where, yeah. you know, if we don't start really paying attention to what we're doing to it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, uh, you throw in this whole climate change issue and, you know, what's that going yeah. to do to populations, and uh, I know McGraw has done some, or is doing maybe some research on that as well, but... Who knows what's going to happen to it then? Yeah, um, I mean everything. Hydrology is changing. Yeah, forest dynamics are changing, and
0: you know if this is something yeah. that has a niche, and you're taking away some of those variables,
1: what's going to happen? What I would, what I would say, really, I mean other than poaching, I could say stop poaching all I want. But <laughs> we all could. We need to, uh, you know, deer, whitetail deer. We need to do something with right. those. And sometimes even in parks, like Great Smoky Mountains National Park, um, there's a lot of white-tailed deer in Great Smoky Mountains National Park because they're protected in there. Yeah. Um, and it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder what's happening to those, and so maybe they should open up some. And maybe they do. I don't know. I
0: yeah. I have no idea. I know um, up home uh, in Buffalo, the land conservancy agencies are really starting to rally behind the idea of allowing hunting. Yeah. I mean, with restrictions, obviously, you know, a lot of the properties are in residential areas, so bow hunting only, or, you know, only this time of year, but I think people are finally waking up to the fact that it's not enough to say, here's this chunk of land, it's preserved. You have to do something, right. because we've already added too much human element yeah. to it. Um, yeah. And I think that's a great point, because places like Great Smoky Mountains National Park, they are known for wildflowers. Right. If that's the thing, that there's anything of all the things that are known for it. it's their wildflower population mm-hmm. and if you're just basically creating this giant fenced-in area where all the deer can run away on hunting season you're going to lose the very thing that yeah. makes you special
1: <laughs> yeah and so they've kind of got a you know that's double-edged for them because i mean they're great smoky mountains they have cades cove and yeah one of the reasons people go to cades cove is to see you know all the deer pretty much walking up to their cars and, and <laughs> that kind of thing and um, you know, for people that don't understand or don't, um, aren't in yeah. this kind of, uh, you know, to them, it's just a cute, cuddly little... Right. It's magical. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know. It's Bambi. Right. And, uh, you know, the, they don't realize the devastation that they yeah. can do. And, um, well. So I'm sure if the Smokies, if they were to open up hunting seasons, they would have some serious backlash to deal with. PR, you know right, that would definitely that would be an issue, but. but you know these parks are starving for cash. You know yeah.
0: budgets are being sliced, and now I'm hearing winds of like Florida, their national parks are trying to open up and sell bird eggs. They're trying to sell seeds, and you right. know they're trying to market their resources. You know we're doing the best with what we got, kind of thing. Yeah. If they were to open up, I mean, to get into an area like that to hunt where
1: no one else has hunted before, yeah. people would pay. Yeah, prime dollar for that. You know, and that's another. That brings up another point. I, when I was at App State, um, so you kind of get these these groups of individual. You got the science group, and then mm-hmm. you got the business group. You know, and yeah. sometimes we would get together. And uh, but I was talking to one of the one of the um, economics professors there about ginseng, and at that time I kind of had this. Kind of sour taste for some of the the, the economists want to put a price on everything, yeah, you know, yeah. especially wild things. And then he made a comment to me that really kind of hit home is that if you don't put a price on it, so if we don't put a price on ginseng, which there is a price on it, <laughs> quite a but one. if yeah, if we didn't put a price on ginseng, then the baseline is zero, right? So yeah. it's it costs nothing. Yeah. Um, and so you know maybe if if you started putting price tags on that thing then maybe people would start to value it a little more. That it's that's kind of sad, but it is and it's it, it's a
0: necessary evil I think right. and the more I, I I dive into this and the more I change and think and read um it just kind of seems like we're doing a lot to try and convince the 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 hyper ends of the bell curve. Yeah. Right, that are never going to change. Yeah. It's that middle ground who doesn't think about any of these things. So putting it into a context in which your average person who doesn't care or may care but doesn't know, right. um, that's, that's important because, like you said, we can say stop poaching, and we've been saying stop poaching right. for how many decades. <clears throat> it doesn't work. <laughs> right. You know? right. So you either punish or you uh, find a way to make someone yeah. who doesn't
1: care, care. And even, even with the punishments, you know, so you take someone to court and they've got a judge there that, you know, what does that judge know about ginseng and, um. Why are you bothering me with this? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, there's a, it's, it's just so multifaceted. And that's the reason I fell in love with the, with the plant really. Uh, Keeps your mind busy. Oh, it's, there's so many aspects to it. So many aspects.
0: I do have to say when I looked Dave up to see, uh, research his, his, uh, rate my professor profiles, a student actually said, hey, if you're ever bored in this
1: class, ask him about ginseng. And I do. I really love the plant. I I don't know if I love it. So there's a, a, he used to be an ag extension agent for Cornell. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure if he is still or not. His name's Bob Bifus. Um, And he knows a ton about ginseng, uh, but actually has a ginseng tattoo on his shoulder. Yeah. So I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not sure if I love it quite that much. Haven't gotten there yet haven't got quite there yet but i do it's, it's' and it's just because so one it's the plant and to me the plant kind of um it it's it's an american history kind of right. thing you know yeah. it's it's almost like this museum specimen that's out there um living for us to see and you know there there are even there's even some Indication that that's what took some of the early settlers into some of the Southern hmm. Appalachians, looking for ginseng. Yeah, of course they're looking for fur too. But, right, but you can't um, discount. You know, yeah, it's not all or nothing. It, it's just such the story of American ginseng is just yeah, it's
0: fascinating. Yeah, and to yeah. me, I mean, seeing it would be like seeing a celebrity. That's my psycho fanatic.
1: Oh. Yeah, um, I always input, <laughs> it's, especially when there's some there that I that I didn't realize was yeah. there, and I kind of happen upon. Um, but I also still like to go back to some of the sites that I surveyed yeah. as a grad student, and they are still there kind of holding on. Well, that that feels yeah. good,
0: Yeah, seeing it yeah. remaining, cool. Yeah. Well, going yeah. forward, if anyone wants to do something to
1: help ginseng out, what would you yeah. recommend? Well, I mean, definitely if they know someone that harvests it, talk to them about it mm-hmm. and see kind of how they do things. Um, if you do harvest it, I would say make sure that Berries are red or fruits are red before okay. you plant them. Um, there's also, there's a pretty big market out there for seeds, people buying seeds because they wanna plant it. Um, and so I would say if you do that, um, you know, try to plant it not in areas that we already have wild ginseng. Because even though I found quite a bit of generic variation, you know, we don't know what we're gonna do if we start mixing. Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as the genetics go just homogenizing everything I'm sure there would be some hybrid vigor there and then, yeah. again that's something that's been showing the research too huh. um, but then what happens after that hybrid vigor kind of goes by the wayside yeah um, but I mean just sustainably so make sure you know you're if you're harvesting that you're harvesting plants that have at least three prongs and are five years old mm. and um, you can count bud scars on the root, and it's pretty easy to know how old the oh, ginseng cool. plant is. Yeah, and so if you don't wait at least five years, then the plant has no opportunity to reproduce. Yeah, um, and so I don't think it's I don't think it's hard really to to preserve it. Yeah. Um, if you just follow some of those basic A little more attention guidelines. to detail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is this yeah. a
0: plant that uh, n- you know, native gardening's huge. It's great. Uh is this a plant that would do well in a shade garden per se or do you kind of need As long as it has
1: quite a bit of shade. Yeah. Um so I mean we're talking 70% pretty, okay. pretty so heavily is, shaded. Yeah, this yeah. is a deep forest. Uh, and it typically needs a slope. It doesn't like to be on flat ground oh, really? at all. Okay. Yeah. Um it's good to know. So if it has those if it has a slope and it's heavily shaded and um I mean you're not going to plant it in some North Carolina red clay, you know. It yeah. Has to be, yeah. Needs to be pretty loamy and some Rich. organic. Uh, about the only nutrient that I've read much about that it that it really needs is calcium. Okay. Um, and so, you know, you probably it does. It's not something that requires a whole lot of attention really. Mm-hmm. I've been to um, actually close to where we are. It's um, the the Balsam Mountain Preserve, I think it is, or mm-hmm. the Balsam Mountain. It, it's a community now, but anyway they. They have an individual that's kind of stationed up there and leads hikes and such and they're they're growing it in pots you know wow. on the, so it, it's definitely not hard to grow um you can buy some nurseries around especially especially here uh, around Silva and around ash and things mm-hmm. you can find you know where they'll sell it to you in pots and hmm. uh, and grow it so yeah it's not it's not terribly difficult, but it just requires. You know, heavy shade, yeah, moist but not soaking wet soils, well-drained. Um, cool. Yeah, and everybody can have some ginseng, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and harvest their own yeah. close by. Uh, hey, I'm always about harvest your own. Yeah. Grow your own, harvest your own. Yeah, don't harvest it in the, you know, national parks yeah. and such.
0: Leave yeah. that for all of us. We all pay those darn taxes. Exactly. So. Excellent. Exactly. Well, Dave, I yeah. appreciate you taking the time to talk. Yeah, I, I love it. I Excellent. could talk about ginseng for days, I believe. Well, yeah. you're always welcome back. Appreciate it. Excellent, Appreciate man. It. All right. Very important stuff. That was a great conversation. Remind you, I had that back in 2015. That was episode 22. So one of the earliest episodes of this podcast. Of course, all of the relevant links for this episode, as well as every previous episode, can be found in the show notes over at indefensableplanets.com podcast. So go check those out. And while you're there, consider either becoming a patron, buying a copy of my book, picking up some of our customizable merch, or purchasing some stickers. At the very least, consider hitting that subscribe button and telling a friend. But that is it for me this week. I thank you all for listening. Keep checking back in. But until next time, hang in there, stay healthy, and get outside if you can. This is your host, Matt, signing out. Adios, everyone.